0: I came fast. Hi guys. Man, you're so awesome. It's so good to see you guys. Let me just move this over. I came a little faster than I thought. <gasps> Whew. That is some heavy pulpit action there. Sherry, have you lifted this before? Okay, good. Alright, so you can you can talk about it. Anyway. Well, man, God's doing some cool stuff, right? Yeah, hey, amen. Let me uh let me get my notes out here just for a second. I, we're going to start a new series. And, and when I say series, it's not necessarily going to be, it's going to be just a, a group of messages here we're going to talk about, about equipping, what it means to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, so I want you to get your Bibles out real quick. And I want you to turn uh, very briefly to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. All right, verse 11. Okay, verse, verse 11. My attempt today is I want to, I want to, I'm gonna bring I'm gonna put on my teacher hat a little bit and I'm going to bring a, um, some understanding to a verse found in Ephesians chapter 4 that we like to that that culturally speaking church culture has deemed um, called the fivefold okay does anybody know what that is just raise your hand real quick if you've ever heard that term before the fivefold okay The fivefold. All right. And so, what that really kind of comes down to is just the fivefold organization ministry, what we're going to call the graces of the church. Okay. It's how God had actually um, 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 laid out for us a blueprint of how church government should work. Okay. And how church should function, how the kingdom of God should function. Okay. In our lives. So, we're going to talk about two contrasting ideas here this morning. One, how it currently is amongst kind of nationally speaking and what God desires for the church to move into. See I believe that it's really important how God has to, to understand how God has structured the church. How many of you guys would believe that? Okay. It's really important for people to understand that and to know that, especially if we want to step into something what we just did here this morning. The reason why that we can do that is I feel called by the Lord to raise ministers and send them out. Okay. And when I say send them out, I'm not talking about going off to some other church or some other place. But if the Lord wills that, that's what it means. But to find the identity or or the calling that God has put inside of your heart and begin to grow, begin to nurture that, begin to mature that through, through circumstances, through conversations, through talks, through allowing you to express yourself. And then release you to what God has set on your heart to do. Now, for each and every one of us, it's going to be different. Right? It's going to be different for all of us. Each, of, each one of us has a different kind of ministry, a different feeling, a different thing that God has actually placed in our heart to go and accomplish. So it's going to be different. But that makes up the body of Christ. Amen. Isn't that great? It just makes up the body of Christ. First we have to understand, and this is where we're going to go to the Bible, okay, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. We have to understand first, before we talk about the foundation of the church at all. We're going to talk about that Christ is the foundation of the church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Christ is the foundation of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 says this, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Understand, his name, his name, Christ, means anointed. Okay? That's what his name means. So no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is the anointing of his presence, Christ himself. We can't get away from Jesus. In today's culture, in today's world, there's so many people, so many churches that are abandoning their faith, yet still claiming to be a church. I like to suggest to you this morning that those kinds of of things, those kinds of, of buildings, they're not churches, they're really just clubs that make you feel good. Okay? Churches... Okay, and the reason why we're talking about this is for the next several weeks, I'm going to be talking a little bit more. I'm going to do some real strong equipping for us, okay, because this church, especially in 2023, as our, as our theme was for this year, which was, does anybody remember our theme? Yield, right? Yield the harvest. I believe that God is equipping our church to be soul, a soul-winning church. To have one of our strongest suits be evangelism. So we're going to talk all about it for the next several weeks. Okay. How to evangelize. What it means to, you know, some people like to call uh, evangelism proselytization. Proselytize rather than evangelize. Right. Look, look, we're we're not trying to get anybody to change their mind. We're just trying to introduce them to the kingdom of God. That's what evangelism really is. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. So. It's really important that we understand as believers must learn to focus and encompass their lives around Christ. Come on, somebody. We got to learn how to circle around the presence of God. We have to learn to circle around his presence. Because it is the driving force behind who we are and what we do, especially here at River of Life. Everything we do is because of his presence. It is our mission statement. Our mission is to host the presence of God that comes down to all kinds of facets, kind of different ideas of what that looks like. But our main purpose is I want when people come into church, when they step foot through the church and they come into a worship experience, I felt the presence of the Lord this morning during worship. I don't know if you did. But I want people to go, I feel different. (laughs) What, What is it that I'm feeling, right? It's almost kind of like asking, what must I do to be saved? Okay? We want to introduce people to what the real presence of Jesus looks like, feels like, what it means. So we have an understanding that it's all about him. In reality, churches have to keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing, the main thing. We are not a political church. Hear what I'm saying. Okay, <laughs> we, we, are not, we are not a political church. We are not a social justice church. Okay, We are not a church who is going to... Go and cry, and go and do all these kinds of things against something. I'd rather be known for what we, what 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 we love, what we appreciate the most, rather than what we're against. Okay, but our I'm not saying we're not going to get involved. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is the main thing is Jesus, and we will always keep it about Him. We'll always keep it about him. Despite what's happening in our world, despite what's happening in culture, I can get up here and talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, all we got to do is just turn on the news, right, for a little bit and just kind of ingest a little bit. We could talk about anything we want to, right. But it's not about that. And what's happening in churches today is we're making it more about that than we are about Jesus. When that is not the shining light that the city on the hill can't be hidden on, it's Jesus is the city on the hill that can't be hidden it can't be hidden. We need to let that light shine before men, okay? Not what we believe, not what our political stance is, but we need to let him shine. And how do we do that? The Bible says, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men unto me. You know want I know? The first thing about evangelism is lifting up the name of Jesus. That's why we stress worship here. Not because we want to sound good. Not because we're throwing on a great concert for you. It's because we want to emphasize If he be lifted up, he will be the one to draw all men unto us, unto himself, not even us, but unto himself. I say this all the time. Church is not an organization, but it is an organism. Amen? Church is not an organization. It is an organism. The church is full of life, twists, growth. The church is full of death. It's how the church continues to move. It's how the church continues to advance. It's how the the church doesn't really adapt to culture, but creates its own. Why? Because we're full of life. And when the Bible says this, that I will give you life so you can have it to the fullest, it's not just talking about your personal life, although it is, it's talking about a church's life. The church's life. And have it to the fullest, to be abundant in all that we do. Amen? Amen. And the church, for us to be truly effective, we have to move, listen to me, now I'm getting into it. It's from revolution to reformation. We have to move to a place called reformation. In your own personal hearts, you have to move to reformation. Reformation, the definition of reformation is to improve a law or an institution by correcting abuses. We have to move from reformation, move to reformation. When you're a reformer or when we're moving into reform, reformation, there's a few questions I get asked. Here's a few of the questions that I ask myself, and maybe you ask yourselves the same questions, but make no mistake about it, we're asking this about our church. Why are we doing what we're doing? When you're a reformer, you ask these questions. Why are you doing what you do? Do you realize what you're adding is not working? Everything you've established in your traditions needs to change. <laughs> oh, no. Not change. You ask yourself the question. I ask myself this question. What am I going to do about it? True people that are reformers, true reformers, right, ask these, these tough questions about what's going on. And the answer is pretty simple. Is that we're going to have to create something we've never seen before, And when reformation is complete, it brings transformation. When reformation is complete, transformation is the only outcome for reformation to happen. So what's transformation? Transformation is a thorough or dramatic change in the form of appearance. It's a transforming. It's a transformation. Now in general, and let me just see your hands if this is you, okay, not so we can shame you, but um, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. In general, people don't like change. How I many of you guys just really like change, right? You just, I, just, I just love change, right? Generally speaking, most people don't like change, okay. I went back to a church that I used to pastor in over 20 years ago, and the walls are still painted the same exact color. I even think the tambourine that we used to play with is still in the same exact space. You know how they say how you, how you need to move a piano off or move an organ off the, off the uh, stage? You move it one inch at a time, right? People just in general <laughs> don't like change. We don't like to, we don't like to do something. I have got a routine, amen, wake up in the morning, get my coffee, read my Bible, pray, look at Facebook. Sorry, everybody, I look at social media, right. And, 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 and that's what I do, right, make some text messages, throw some emails together and then start my day. Right? We have routines. We have things like that. And sometimes change is really difficult. Change is really hard, especially when it comes to church. By nature, listen to this. You'll love this. By nature, most of you sit in the same seat every Sunday. You don't even know it. Right? We're, we're trying to create a thing here at the church called section hosts. If you, if you would like to be a section host, all you have to do is make sure you're hosting your section, because the same exact people are going to sit in that section every Sunday. Right? Every Sunday. Every now and then. This is why I love April and Ryan, because they used to sit over there, but now they're going bling, 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 bling all over the place. I'm like, sit in the same spot so I can look at you. God is never changing, Amen. He's never changing, but God is always moving. He's always moving, which in return always feels like change. (laughs) But he's never changing. But the one thing that God is always doing is moving. It's why our church at this very moment in this time is called River of Life. Why? Because there's a river is moving, right? The only way a river becomes stagnant is when it goes into a pond and there's no movement. Okay? It goes into a body of water where there's no movement anymore movement requires us to change it does not require God to change and if we don't move then that's why and that's how we become stagnant in our walk with God some of us some of us including myself at some point some of us have been in the same exact spot spiritually that we've been for the last 20 years I would like to suggest to you this morning that maybe, maybe you're not really walking with God like you think you're walking with God if you haven't changed. If there hasn't been some type of transformation in your life and in your heart, maybe we're not as close to the Father as we think we're close to him. Maybe we've been thinking, oh, that's okay, or we brought some justification to how we feel about certain things when God begins to press us, right, he begins to press begins to press us and then and then so that way new wine can come out but we're resistant to the new wine so we say no thank you god we actually go get the behind me devil right and it's not even the devil doing that it's god pressing you so that way you can transform god is a transformant of god he always has been and he always will be but the cool thing about god is that he never changes it's just his nature Revolutionaries know that transformation comes when we are finally willing to have a sacred cow barbecue. You guys heard the term sacred cow? For the longest time I thought it was a biblical term. (laughs) No no joke. These sacred cows. You know, I fling that thing around everywhere thinking I was super spiritual. And people are like, what are you talking about? Sacred cow is an expression that says there's some things that we need to get rid of. There's some old ideologies that's actually in your dictionary, okay. Ideologies, some thoughts, some agendas that we need to lay at the altar and let those things burn, baby, burn. Because those same exact things are the things at one point were good in your life, but those same exact things are the things that are keeping you back from the fullness of Christ that he's trying to get inside of you and understand and know. It's like this, and I've said this multiple times, but the greatest enemy to the current move of God is the former one. That's a good place to say amen. The greatest enemy to the new move of God, I not want to say new, but what God is doing now is the former one. If we can only do it like that. If we can only do it like this. If we can only do it like that when God's like, "Hey, look, that was really great for that season, but I'm right over here right now. I'm not even there anymore." But we want to live here why? Because it's comfortable. Because it's it, it reminds us of things we get nostalgia. You know, in our hearts and our lives. I'm not talking about singing hymns or reading out of the KJV or nothing like that, okay? I'm talking about our ideologies and our thoughts that we actually raise above the King of Kings. We actually think that what we think is better than what God thinks. And I don't know about you, but the Bible says this you should have no other idols before Him, right? Before God. So, sacred cow leadership. Church structure, church government might look something like this where pastors care about people. They equal people, okay? Now I'm gonna gonna say some stuff this morning. You're gonna go, "Uh, where are you going, Pastor? (laughs) Right? The pastors equal people. Administrators equals the stuff, the things of the church, okay? Teachers equal the doctrine. We're gonna make sure doctrine's good. And evangelists, all they care about is the salvation message. That's the, super, that's the only thing supernatural that happens in the church is winning souls. Sounds great, right? Doesn't it sound awesome? But sometimes that idea and that paradigm right there could be a sacred cow amongst churches, which is why sometimes we might think to ourselves and see that church is on the decline because of some of these sacred cows the way we do things. Okay. The first priority in the pastoral government, we're going to call this paradigm the pastoral government. The first priority in the pastoral government is people. Sounds good, right? Should be about people. How safe, how comfortable, and how happy are the people in the church environment. The next priority is our things. In a pastoral government, there are many teachings about stewardship, taking care of your money, taking care of our parking lot in our building and all of our stuff. That's good to do. Amen? Right? These are the driving forces of how we do church is when we say we need a new parking lot or we need this or we need a new door, right, we need this or we need that. If that's the only thing that we focus on, then that would be acceptable, but it's an old paradigm of church. I hope I'm not talking like I hope you're understanding this. Because we're going to go somewhere for the next several weeks because of this, okay. The next priority in this pastoral government is doctrine. It leads us to focus on the rights and the wrongs, truth and error. Very good. Amen? Amen. Isn't that something that we need? Amen. The gospel of salvation is the final priority. Getting people saved is generally the only supernatural activity in the pastoral environment. It's the only thing that happens. In that environment, I don't know about you, man, but I want to see people get healed. Last week we had somebody get healed right up here, over here, of a shoulder. We had all kinds of stuff, people getting healed, touched, and delivered. Man, God is on the move Amen. amongst His people. And without the presence of the supernatural, when we don't win souls, let's just say we keep it right there, right? And we don't win souls. What we do is we end up teaching converts. We end up teaching them this idea: you were a sinner. You prayed a prayer, and now God's grace is applied to your life. Your sins are forgiven, but you're still a sinner, and we're watching you. That's what happens under a pastoral government. Okay? And such core values create an environment centered upon the things that can be proved and controlled. A river cannot be controlled. (laughs) <laughs> With that driving force of each current, it makes the it creates the banks for it to fall under. Okay? And I think what God is doing right now, and I'm speaking prophetically, I think what God is doing right now in this season and in this hour is God is preparing a church to be uncontrollable. Now, I'm not talking about how we don't need to be under leadership or under uh, under all these kinds of things, under authority. But what I'm talking about is, God is raising up people like these people that we pray for this morning and beyond to say, I just want to go and advance the kingdom of God everywhere I go. I don't need someone to lay their hands on me. I don't need someone to give me the yes or the no. No, you've got the commission by the Lord. Why? Because it's in the Bible. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28. And he's counting on you and me as the church to go and do that. He's not counting on me as the pastor of the church to do that. Come on, somebody. He's counting on you. He's asking you. He's saying, will you go and make disciples? Will you be the one to go and do the things? Will you be the one to advance the kingdom of God? Well, we'll just wait for Pastor Jay because that's what he gets paid to do. That's the pastoral government. Ideology. Slap that sucker on a barbecue grill, add add some flavor on it, and let's get rid of it. You're the minister. You're the missionary. You're the one that goes into the world. You have access to people I'll never have access to. And if the only thing you can do is bring them into the church, then do that. Praise God. I'd be more than happy to minister to them. But let me tell you, God has commissioned you to do it. Amen? How else will the kingdom of God advance if we don't do it ourselves? That's a good word, Pastor Jake. Thanks, man. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. It's on the back screen. Okay? And for time's sake, I'm just gonna read it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13 says this. And he gave, some translations say this, this one doesn't. He gave first, he gave some, he gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, which are pastors, and teachers to do what? <laughs> to equip the saints for the work. ministry. We are not talking about working at a church. Understand this. Working at a church is not the work of the ministry. I'm not saying that it's not, but so many people have this sacred cow ideology to say if I work at the church, then I can be in ministry. No, absolutely not. When you go to your doctor's office, when you go go work at Chick-fil-A, wherever it is, you are in ministry. And it's the church's responsibility to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What is this ministry? Hey, go win souls, make disciples, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. Do the things that Jesus said you can do. And I hope when you come to church here that it's not just me going, well, let's just hold hands and let's just love each other. Here's a reader's digest just sermon. I, I, I can't do that. I've tried. <laughs> I've thought to myself multiple times, man, I was a little too hard on the church today. I, I need to be a little bit happier next week. Right? I just, I just sometimes I go, ooh. But you know what? I'm not interested in raising a bunch of pansy churches. I'm, ra- I'm interested in raising a church who's going to advance the kingdom of God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. With everything that God has called him to do. I'm sorry that I used the word pansy, if that offended you. <laughs> I love you. I feel so good with you, I can say that. Okay, moving on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. How many of you guys, all churches are in unity right now? Nope. Okay, so we got some work to do, right? So that means we need apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to do and equip until we can attain unity in the church. And in, in understanding the knowledge of the Son of God, keep going, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, according to this scripture... If we went in order, which I don't think we should, but we're going to just, we're just going to say we're going to, okay? According to the scripture, if we went in order to the scripture, we can see that most churches are out of order. Because most churches are ran with the pastoral government. We value the pastor, but, but deflect the apostle and the prophet. We say the apostle and the prophet, we don't understand. Even some believers say this, the apostles died when all the apostles died in the, in the New Testament. Okay. I want you to know that that's not true. Why? Because that's not biblical. What we've done, and see, these people who say this, say, we'll never do anything extra biblical. Well, you just did. Okay. If we went in order, we would see that most churches are operating just pastor administrator, and teacher only with the three gifts. But let me tell you, when you only have the three and you don't have the full hand, you can't make an impact. Because you've got the apostle. Come on, somebody. You've got the prophet who's the pointer. You've got the evangelist. It's the longest finger because it reaches the furthest. You've got the, you've, I'll put it on this hand. You've got the pastor because the pastor is the shepherd. He's married to the church. It's your Mary finger. Right, your ring finger then you've got the you've got the, the the teacher right the teacher is the littlest because it cares about the details of what's being taught right when all of these are in operation in a body like ours right what we do is we make an impact but if one is out or if two is out the church becomes anemic and can no longer function correctly we need all five to work together for the completion of of the church body to equip the saints to do the work that God has called them to do. We don't get this that we just did up here without having a structure like that within our church. Where we go, you know what, you're going to make some bad mistakes. But praise God, at least you're making mistakes and not be afraid to go on and step out and have a little bit of faith. Hmm. And it's important that we include all the graces together in this church paradigm. I love lions. Not lying. <laughs> I like lions. Roar, lions. Remember, got me? <laughs> I like lions. I have, one, I, have, I have two paintings up in my office of lions. And I love lions. I love studying about lions. And in this thing called the lion life, we'll just call it the lion life, okay. Not, not the lying life. <laughs> you guys with me? The lion life, the roar life, okay. A new lion, listen to me, a new lion would defeat the old lion for their pride. After the new lion defeated the old lion, the new lion ate all the bloodline, ate all the cubs of that old lion. Thus, it put all the females into heat. So the new leader, the new lion could breed an entire new bloodline. Nature is brutal. Isn't that brutal here? But that's what happens when old paradigm meets biblical paradigm of church. We need to cut everything out that we once knew about how church was. Because if we're going to see the church move forward and succeed 30, 20, 40 years from now, if God God doesn't show up, which according to Gary, it's happening in a couple of days, that, no, I'm just playing, Gary, where are you at, Gary? Where's Gary? Gary, (laughs) I'm just messing with you, man. It's 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 yeah, 2030, right? Somewhere in there. Okay. So, so if this if 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 we want to see the church be successful, if we want to see the church continue to make an impact, we have to. We have to allow the old paradigm to go away and introduce a new paradigm of how we do things so that way the church can continue to move and to advance. You guys catch my drift? We need to throw away the old, let the old eat itself, and then let the new come out from this. Okay, let the new come out from this. So here's what a biblical church government looks like according to the word of God. Okay. Apostles. Okay, apostles, now there's nothing, uh, hear what I'm saying, I'm going to say these two things and you're going to go, well, what's bitter, you know, everyone thinks. Look, there's no gift that's better than the other one. You understand that? Just because someone might have an apostolic gift about their life doesn't necessarily mean that they're better than the pastoral gift or vice versa with the teacher or with an evangelist. All gifts are the same playing field. Why? Because it's the foundation of the church. We're all at the bottom. Why? Because, see, back old paradigm says, well, you know, you got these people right here that are leaders right here. They call themselves apostles. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, someone calls a self-claimed prophet. And before you know it, it becomes like this. And then it gets really weird. Okay? True biblical leadership never is from top down. It's always from the bottom up. It's always there to serve. It's always there to serve. If you find a leader who is not willing to serve, they're not leaders. Because leaders are always willing to serve first. That's why some people have to tell me, Pastor, you need a break, man. You need a break. And I go, No, there's work to do. But I'm taking their advice this summer. Apostles, their main thing that they care about the most is they care about heaven, heaven's influence. Heaven's idea, heaven's culture, heaven's atmosphere, in an area or in people's lives. Prophets, they concern themselves with the spirit world. OK? I see things. I, I, and I'm not talking about like just seeing stuff floating around in the sky. I'm talking about, like like, I see God doing this. I, you could tell someone who's prophetic, because, number one, sometimes they're a little weird. It's true. Right? And apostles and prophets, even though they're the ones that get left out the most, they have the hardest time getting along with each other. Right? Because what prophets do is that they're black and white, man. They just There's no middle ground. There's no gray. It's this way or this way. The apostle has to come in and go, hey, you know, there's room for everybody, man. Don't worry about it. We all need to experience Jesus. The prophet's like, no. No. It's not how it's going to be. Right? The prophets, they see stuff and they incite movement within a church body. That's what prophets do. Teachers articulate the kingdom. They don't just teach a Bible study. They articulate the kingdom of God in your life. And everyone else we call, we'll just lump them into workers of miracles. This is called the supernatural activity of the believers. Okay, now in this government, the priorities are about heaven, the presence of God, and the blueprint of heaven being reproduced here on earth in this type of church structure, and it's not just a church structure, it's actually biblical structure, okay? There is a new core value for the activity of the spirit world, for the saints having their eyes and ears opened by the prophet, for hearing the heartbeat of heaven and becoming aware of the activity of heaven, which supersedes the devil's strategies. Signs, wonders, and miracles bring people into God encounters that radically change the life The way life is lived here on earth. No longer is it an environment of fear and reaction, but of proactively establishing the architecture and blueprint of heaven on earth. Of making this prayer a reality. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. That's what this structure provides. And to be quite honest with you, it is one of the things that I care about the most. I care about you. I love you. I will do anything that I can do as your pastor. But I want you to know that I care more, mostly about heaven's influence in our church. I care about what God is saying and I care about doing what he's saying. Because when I get to heaven, it's not going to be how many people did you have in your church. It's going to be what did you do with my son? What did you do with the obedience that I've given you? What did you do with that? I'm going to be judged on that. Yeah. Right? Some people, some people think this, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay? We like to look at that and go, finally made it. Well done, good and faithful, you didn't give in, praise the Lord, you made it. Look, let me, just, let me encourage you with something that that's not all that it means. Because in order to be faithful, you have to be faithful to obedience to what he's speaking to you to do right now. In your life, So that way when we get to heaven, you and I will be judged the same exact way. And we will both hear, well done, good and faithful to the calling of God while on earth that you did, that I put in your heart to do. Right. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come now, let's rest. Thank God we get to rest in heaven. Amen. You know, some people like to say, it's not going to be clouds and people sitting on clouds. I want to think it is. It's not going to be, but I just want to believe it. Now, we don't have time to talk about each gift and give you their personalities, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. We don't have time to do that. So I, wanted to, I want to read a story to you here that will define and kind of give you an idea of how each gift works in a church, okay. So I want you to picture with me, you just rolled up to a car accident, okay. You guys with me? You tracking with me? You just drove up and you just witnessed a car accident. All right, and, and, and there it is, there's people everywhere, there's some, there's some things going on, there's a lot of chaos going on. Here's how the five gifts of the word of God, these five graces that we're talking about, here's how they would react and how they would respond in this moment. You guys with me? Okay. So the pastor is the first one out of the car. He scrambles to assess the situation and begins a triage approach in applying first aid to injured victims. He gathers blankets, jackets, water, and anything else he can find to try to comfort them. He surveys the situation to see if anything is threatening the safety both of those who are receiving care and those who have been drawn to the scene of the accident. He talks with each person to find out his or her name, marital status, and whether he or she has children. (laughs) He gathers vital uh, vital sign information and any available emergency contact information in order to help the emergency response team when they arrive. He brings a sense of calm to the situation, and each person there feels a genuine feeling of care, connection to the pastor. He wonders whether he should have been a doctor. This is a pastoral influence on the scene of an accident. Now, generally speaking, most churches love pastors if they have a pastoral gift. Why? Because pastors make you feel good. Okay? It's okay, sweetie. Everything's going to be okay. I love you. (laughs) Right. And then, you know, 20 years down the road, they're going, it's okay, sweetie, I love you. It's all right. And you're still dealing with the same problem. The teacher is next on the scene. He studies the situation in order to figure out what caused the accident. He steps back, notices the patterns of the skid marks, and the distance each car moved before and after the impact. And estimates the speed of each car moved before and after the impact and estimates the speed of each car at the point of impact. Drawing from his deep knowledge of the driver's manual and traffic laws, he develops a theory about who was at fault. His conclusion is that overall, drivers need more training and will most likely benefit from mandatory classes and continuing education requirements. How many of you guys think that way? Right? <laughs> How many of you guys would define yourself as, yeah, I, would, I think that that's a, yeah, we, teachers, right, they're important. The evangelist arrives on the scene and asks everyone uh, lying in a safe, comfortable place, thanks to the pastor, if you were to die as a result of your injuries, do you know where you would go to heaven? Would you go to heaven or hell? Right? He then notices that there's a large gathering of bystanders and people in their cars who have pulled over to watch. He begins to address the larger crowd with the same question. There are no guarantees that you will make it home safely. (laughs) Do you know where you're going to go, heaven or hell? People give their hearts to the Lord right there on the side of the road. He explains to all the new believers that the greatest gift you can ever do to someone else is the gift of salvation. He trains them to lead others to Christ and prays for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Afterward, he says, this was great, and decides to go purchase a police scanner. And when he gets back to town and he says, I'm going to listen in to see what other souls I can go save, okay? That's an evangelist. That's how evangelists would operate on the scene of an accident. Now, the prophet... The prophet knew this was going to happen because he had a dream about it the previous night. Because everyone in the dream had survived the accident. He rebukes the spirit of death and declares with great faith and unction that all shall live and none shall die. He proclaims that there are angels surrounding the scene of the accident and prays that the eyes of all the people's hearts will be open to the spirit. Then he walks around and starts to call the destiny out in various people. He releases a spirit of revelation within the group. And finally... Quite naturally, he begins to ask around to find out who's in charge at the scene. When he discovers the the one in charge, he discerns whether this is God's chosen leader or not. Or if he finds that no one's in charge, he will appoint a leader. Okay. That's the prophet. Lastly, the apostle. The apostle prays for the injured. He invites the supernatural healing touch of God's of God into the scene. He begins to tell testimonies of when he has been on the scene of car accidents and witnessed the power of God manifest itself in those situations. The faith level of the people begins to rise. He then asks if anyone can feel heat in his or her hands. He puts those who raise their hands to work praying for others to be healed. He demonstrates to all who are near that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He opens a school for those who arrive at the car accident scenes and sends them all over the world to do signs and wonders. That's how an apostle would act. And all of these descriptions, what they do is they invite us into an apostolic environment, a leadership structure where no one gets this better than the other, but each have their own lanes to get to the highway, which is this highway is the kingdom of God. You can play some music back there, Stephen. The church, the church, listen, the church is to lead we're supposed to be leaders in bringing more freedom to earth. Would you agree with that statement? That's what we're about, is to bring in more freedom, to let people experience God's freedom while here on earth. Heaven is begging to invade the prison so many, so many people live in. Whether it is depression, pain, disease, or fear. Can you play some instrumental music? Pain or fear? Right? We're 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 the church and God is begging us to be released through us to go do the work of the ministry. Our role, and then I'm done, our role is to eliminate those things in our lives, homes and church communities, so we can lead others to the peace, joy, freedom, and love we found for ourselves. So you might ask yourself, why is this conversation so important? Why is this important to understand? Well, number one, understanding, number one, understanding our church and the way we operate will give you the opportunity to step into what God has for you. If you understand River of Life and how we operate, because I want you to know that we try our best and still working on an apostolic government, an apostolic leadership structure, an apostolic feel in the church, We're now people now, people now within our church are going, man, I just really feel like God is doing this, or I feel like God is doing that. I feel like God is saying this, and I feel like God is saying that. What, what's happening is, is that the spirit of God has been released over our church for the last eight years, and we're starting to get equipped to do the work of the ministry. Right? And sometimes, maybe your work of the ministry is to go to Africa or to go to these places and and, and build and dig wells and do all those things. And I think that's amazing. But maybe the work of the ministry for your life is just to be you with Jesus inside of you, releasing the kingdom of God everywhere you go. That is the work of the ministry. And we want to equip you to do that. So I don't know about you, but I'm ready for this summer. Because we're going to do a lot of equipping. But you know that with equipping comes practice. So this summer, we're going to not only equip you, but we're going to provide opportunities for you to practice. To practice what it means to pray for somebody. Because I would vouch to say that there's people in here that go, I'm not good enough to do that. Or I'm too scared to do that. My my pastor used to say this all the time, if you're scared, then do it scared. He was a straight-up apostle. Right, I'm a mixture. I'm an apostolic mutt. I like got all of them. I like you, but I'm gonna incite movement. Cause that's who I am. I'm transformative. I know that. Look at our church, <laughs> right? I'm a transformative. Pa- I'm, a, I'm a transformative pastor. I know that. We're going to walk through it all this summer. You guys ready for that? I just want to encourage you to keep on continuing to come back. The worst thing you do is not come to church. Right? It really is. As much as you're in town, come to church. Get involved. Get connected. Let's go after it this summer. Amen? Remember, the devil doesn't take a summer off. So neither should Christians. We need to be be and live in obedience to what he's calling us to do. All right, let's stand. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for everything you've done. You are so good. We bless you. And Father, I just ask and I pray that each of us, God, would fall in line with what you're doing. Would fall in line to your voice. Would fall in line to your your spirit and where you're leading and guiding and directing us. God, we honor you so much today because you are good. Help us, Father, number one, to keep it all about you. God, and number two, help us to love through it all. God, we thank you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on up, Nicole. She's going to close us out here this morning. This is one of the examples I'm talking about. Right? As we equip and we say, we say, we, we, we said to Nicole, Nicole, we think you got it. Didn't I say that to you? Yeah. yeah, I said, I know, she's getting embarrassed. But I said, I said, I said, Nicole, we think you got it. So this summer Nicole's going to preach. Okay. So super pumped by that. I know she's super embarrassed right now, but but uh, but she's stepping out in faith to fulfill what God has in her heart. So let's all listen to Nicole and as she closes. Amen. Thank you.
1: That was great, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. Um, I'm so grateful for a church and a pastor who wants us to walk in our calling and purpose. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, This morning we would like to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. If maybe you're like, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm not sure um, what God wants me to do in the church or as a body, a part of the body of Christ. We want you to come forward. We want to pray for you. So I ask the uh, ministry team if you can come forward now. And if you would like prayer, please come up and pray with somebody. We love you. And we want to see you walk out your calling and purpose uh, for the kingdom of heaven, right? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the blessings and all the things you've done for us, Lord. We thank you that you have a calling and a purpose and a plan for each of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you were revealing that to us even today in Jesus' mighty name.